have a timeout. Decide not to use it. Curry, way down top. Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! Rebound box. Back out to Allen. History title. Bang! He's back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. Here's Middleton. Giannis trailing the lob. Welcome back to The Playbook, a podcast all about the NBA and part of the All Indie Sports Network. Um, today I'm joined by Mark, as usual, but today we also have a special guest, James May, who is currently a coach for the Long Island Nets, and uh, we're going to hear a lot about his career, both as a player and as a coach, um, and we're glad to have him here. Great to be on. Of course. Um, Mark, I'm going to let you take off with the first question here. Okay, so just to get started, uh, so you played college basketball at UNC Greensboro for for five years between '98 and '03, um, and but and you didn't play much in 2000, like the 2000 2001 season, the year that your school made the NCAA tournament. Now, dis- despite like I, I'm not sure if you got to play in the tournament or not, but just just what was it like around the team at that time, like making the make qualifying for the for the big dance at all. March Madness. Um, I mean, it was it was incredible. Um, when I first went to UNC Greensboro, it was uh, going into a situation of a team that hadn't been playing well. Um, my class was the class that was supposed to resurrect the program, um, and we, you know, we started building from there. Uh, my second year was very strong. My third year, I ended up, I ended up actually um, breaking my ankle, um, and the end of my sophomore year in conditioning. And then I went into the whole next year, not knowing my ankle was broken and I was wearing a walking boot every day. I was practicing. So I was with the team every single day. You just, you just wouldn't know outside of practice. Um, At that time you could play, I think it was six or seven games and still get the year back. Um, So we were just kind of strategic in that, you know, just waiting, um, playing my six games, you know, when they mattered. Um, things like that, but um, team was very supportive. We had a very, very good team that we had built over the years. Um, guys were just uh, bonded together. It was like a brotherhood that we had. Um, we had a lot of talent, um, a lot of talented guys that had bigger schools they could have gone to that were all there. Um, Fran McCaffrey's a great coach at Iowa now and just took his team to the tournament. Um, he just did a great job of just preparing us as men, as a family. And um, the environment was just crazy. Uh, we knew what we had. We knew we were good. Um, going through that conference tournament was was incredible. Uh, being able to win it in Greensboro, which is where we had a tournament at the Coliseum. Um, and then going into that environment, you know, we went out to San Diego. That's where we were. Um, people everywhere. I mean, millions of people supporting you you know, cheering you on, following you. Um, the pressure was intense, um, but we jo- enjoyed every bit of it. It was, it was unlike anything I've ever seen before, even even in professional. It's unlike anything I've ever seen before. Yeah, so how is it kind of, I guess you didn't end up playing in the NCAA tournament, um, and I guess you didn't get a call uh, opportunity later in your college career. Um, is that kind of something that you look back and you're disappointed about, or are you kind of okay with uh, missing that? Um, I'm okay with it because I, I know what I did on a daily, you know, in, in the daily schedule, just of, of being on the court with those guys, regardless, um, just to get the red shirt back. You just couldn't play, um, you know, down there at the end, didn't get a chance to fight it out with those guys. But at that moment in time, I had guys that I came in with that weren't finished and I knew guys that came in that were growing, um, you know, that next year we were in the, NI, uh, the NIT, we were in the preseason NIT. So it's, it's, it's not the same exact thing, but I know I was a part of it. I felt everything these guys felt, you know, from the wins to the losses to, you know, the struggles um, right there in the thick of it. Um, so it's, it's not anything I regret. And I was able to still, you know, do great things at the school and, and, uh, and have a long professional career as well. That's all thanks to, you know, what was built there. So we, we all, all of us um, out of that team, I think we had nine guys play professional on that particular team. Um, so it, it's, you know, 
that that brotherhood continued on. Um, so I, even though I didn't get to play in that particular game against Stanford, I, I you know I definitely felt the the camaraderie and the family aspect and was able to achieve great things after. So it's not anything I regret because I was still part of it. So when you were rehabbing, did you feel like you took on kind of a more uh, a mentor role to your team or I guess you were like coming in on your senior year. So did you have like some sort of say, I, I, you're a coach now. So did you ever feel that you kind of inspired yourself in the middle of your career to kind of take on a coaching role of some aspect? Um, def- definitely from a, a, a leadership standpoint, uh, team captain standpoint. Um, I don't want to say mentor cause I always feel like mentor is, is like an older person to a younger person or, or, um, or, you know, just, just a higher ranking person. to so maybe a lesser ranking person, mm-hmm. we were all on even ground. Um, but just, you know, it's, it's. The thing is, is that I went through that whole season actually not knowing that my ankle was completely broken. We just knew that there was a problem. So I didn't find out till April, until after that season was over, that I actually had like a chunk broken off my ankle. So I was, it's like I would go practice and be good for like four days and then my ankle would just be on fire for like three days. Um, mm-hmm. So it was... I never really shifted all the way over because I was always on the court with you. I was always still competing with you, lifting weights with you, training, practicing with you. Um, it's just like missing game days. Um, but I did learn how to be a leader at that time. Um, just going through that stuff, um, learning how to go through adversity and get through it and believe through it and, and continue to build while going through it. So I definitely gained a lot of leadership aspects from that. Um, and I think that's what started me. That's what spearheaded me on this pathway of, hey, you know, just believing and having confidence that, hey, I can really help some people grow in the, in the basketball space. Um, did that, did, like, did doing all that stuff with your ankle broken without you even knowing, did that have any, like, long-term effects on the on the ankle at all? Or did you kind of just... Um. It did have a long-term effect in a, I would say, in a positive way. Um, because I didn't tear ligaments, there wasn't any, like, damage kind of like that. Um, I broke, like, a chunk off of my talus. So when they did figure out, I, I started off kind of like a stress fracture. You couldn't really tell in the MRI if it was there or not. Um, but when the surgery came, it was just get the chunks out, drill a hole into the bone, let it grow back. You know, it kind of grows into, like, a shell, you know, and then it, and then it fills in. Um so over time, I've had some soreness in that ankle because I had surgery on it before. Um, but there wasn't any long-lasting negative effects. I think the long-lasting positive effect was that um, I really learned how to just be resilient um, through the pain, um, bouncing back. You know, again, like I said, I have three, four good days and it just be like downhill for a couple of days and, you know, going back in a walking boot and dealing with frustration. And I think all of that stuff contributed to me being able to be a journeyman playing basketball for so many years and, and going to different countries all the time and, you know, doing well some places, not doing well, getting cut from the NBA and, you know, just different things like that. Um, just learning how to deal with it all. So I think it had a positive, lasting effect um, just kind of going through that. And just speaking on, like, the time you spent in Europe and all that, you left, like, at, right after college, you left for Europe for a little bit. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it was first, like, first, first couple countries were Norway and Greece. Um, just, like, how big of a culture shock was it? Not necessarily just on the court, but just, like, life off the court from being in the U.S., just going across the ocean to Europe. Huge, huge culture shock. Um, fortunately, we had taken a college trip to Norway and Sweden um, before my last year. So I got a chance to be over there a week in each place, play the national team, some top teams there. Um, but my mind wasn't set on going to Europe. Um, came out of college, trained a lot with uh, Scott Adubato, who was with the Memphis Grizzlies, and you know had a shot at that and possibly going into the minor leagues. Um, hadn't thought about going to Europe. Um, and then got a call, got a call from Norway, one of the teams we had played. It was the top team in the country. Um, my first chance to make some money, 
I didn't want to go into the minor leagues. You know, the NBA was cutting me, you know, that type of thing. So, um, you know, just taking it, got to Norway, and it was dark. <laughs> I didn't go over there until the end of September, beginning of October, and it was dark already. I didn't know. It was, you know, it was just so cold there, so north. It was snowing already. Um, just complete culture shock of what I had seen because when I had gone before, it was like July. <laughs> now I'm going straight into the cold winter. Um, but just learning how to navigate, um, I, I like to think I'm a simple person and simple can sometimes be complicated. So it's like, I don't need much. Um, but so I, I was able to kind of like just navigate and get by, okay, eating these things up north was expensive. Um, had some good American teammates that were, that were older than me that had been through it. So able to listen to those guys, um, me and one of the teammates shared like a house, a, a nice two-story house. So just living with somebody that, that, that had been through it um, really, really helped. Um, after that year, the next year, I decided I'm going to go full-fledged to Europe, which is why I got into Greece, which was, you know, a, a very, very good country. You know, the first time I was, the first year I was kind of like last minute. So it's like just took what, what was there. Um, but going to Greece is when I really was able to embrace the culture more um i actually started going to school there I, I needed one year to finish my master's so i took my master's while i was there um i live in atlanta it's kind of like the same longitude so it's kind of like uh i mean the same um temperature and everything so it was kind of uh similar weather um on the water um greek people are a lot like americans in a lot of ways um so the culture shock wasn't as bad um it was just really just embracing the culture and, and becoming part of of how they live, how they play basketball, how they learn, you know, just being in school, you know, it was it was a a holistic experience that that was uh just great. And not bas not basketball really. This is totally an opinion thing, but which out of every country you've played in, and you can even you can even count the US in that too, which place had the best food? Mm, I think Greece. Yeah, that's what I was. That's what I was expecting, to be honest. I had a um, I had a college teammate that was actually from Crete. He is from Crete, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I was over there in Greece, I went to Crete to Heraklio, where he lives, um, for Greek Easter. Um, going there, <laughs> I remember his, his, his mom, his parents. His mom had a garden out back, and she was like full of stuff out. And in Greece, you, you're not supposed to turn down food. Mm -hmm. So we're eating breakfast and she's like, just feeding you, feeding you. And, and every time you finish something on a plate, she's giving you more and more. And she's like stuffing you. So in the middle of stuffing you breakfast, she's asking like, what do you want for dinner? And I'm thinking like, man, it's, it's 1030 in the morning. Like you're stuffing me all this food. Like I don't want to think about food. But what it was is they actually put the meat and everything in the oven like seven hours, eight hours before hit, and they cooking it on like, I don't know, 200 degrees. It's like, is it ever going to finish? Mm -hmm. And they just do that all day. But at the end, you know, it's just so rich, flavorful, a lot of natural stuff. Um, you know, you're not eating a lot of fat over there. Um, I mean, they just have so many different spices and herbs, um, ingredients, you know, that they, and, and they're putting the time and it's the passion into making the food good. That um, I mean, the food was incredible over there, incredible. Yeah, of course. Uh, jumping back into basketball, um, you returned in uh, to the U.S. to play for the Dakota Wizards, who during your season there practically ran the D-League, um, and you topped the regular standings en route to a championship. Compared to your college days, uh, what was that like being a part of a dominant squad? Um, it was definitely definitely different. Um, what, what I liked about our team was um, it we didn't have any, you know, at that time, you didn't have like the two ways. Um, you had assignments, so-called, but it was like we had the Wizards and the Bulls who could send their players to us. Um, during that time, we only had one player sent to us. Um, we had a bunch of guys that had a chip. That was my first time being in a situation where everybody was like me. Everybody was cut from the NBA. Everybody was going to camp cut. You know, you just, you, everybody's on the same page. We've all been through the same strife and triumph. Um, and and, it's, and we're trying to learn how to compete together. We had a great coach in Dave Yeager um, that obviously went to the NBA, right? Mm -hmm. Been a head coach there. 
Um, and it was Dave Yeager was similar to to Coach Mag, Fran McCaffrey, just as far as like being able to pull a team, a different type of person. Um, but it's a different environment because it's all basketball. There's no class. There's no – you don't have to be there. You have to choose to be there. Um, and, you know, just that environment in Bismarck, North Dakota, they didn't have anything else there. They had an ice hockey team. Um, that was it. So our games were packed every night, unlike some other D-League teams. You know, not every D-League team had a lot of fans. We did. Sioux Falls had a lot. Um, Colorado had a lot. Idaho. Um, but we we – I mean, it was just incredible just because in that town, you were the NBA player. Every player on our roster from top to bottom was the NBA player. So as far as like the catering to us, the energy that we got from people um, allowed us to really grow and strive and be ourselves without judgment um, and and make mistakes and nobody cared. And we all just bonded together and had each other's back. And, um, you know, we started off the season, I think, 13 and three. I mean, we, I mean, we just started out every – team that came in and had like an assignment player we had like a a team it was like a team enemy we all were like going at these guys and um you know what once we bonded like that we were with each other every night just the way our apartments are set up we were with each other all the time um it was probably the team that i've been on that had the strongest brotherhood professionally mm-hmm. um just basketball um than anywhere i've ever been um, coaches included. Did you get a ring? Or... Yeah, you know, you get your little trophy and stuff. It's like yeah. you know, you get a little you get a little ring and stuff, but it's not yeah. it's not you know, it wasn't anything it wasn't anything crazy. It's just, you know, it was early stages of the D League. That's true. That's true. Something's better than nothing though. Yep. Um, but so out at like back to back to your time in Europe, you were practically on every continent at like at, so, at some point at one point or another you were ever like you were at i think like what you only missed out on antarctica and africa i think it is so you got you get been africa so you got six out of seven you got you got six out of seven and um uh so like what like what were your and it was more than 10 countries if i'm not mistaken but just like uh well which were some of your favorites in some in both basketball i, I know you already mentioned greece had the best food but just outside of basketball as well um, I really like so so for Africa, for example. Um, this sounds crazy, but uh, the year before Libya had the war over goal with Gaddafi, they actually brought me in to play national team with them. And it gave me like a Libyan passport and stuff. So that's why nobody ever knows I was there. Um, but it, it doesn't matter now. But uh, <laughs> um, during that trip, we got a chance to go over to. Tunisia um, to play. Tunisia is an incredible country. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very nice. I mean, you, you'll probably hear a lot of people talk about how rich it was um, just kind of being there is, you know, between Egypt and stuff. You know, you know, it just had a lot going on. I thought Tunisia is a very beautiful place. Um, I've also been to Iran, um, which people would think is crazy because it's next to Iraq. But if you really think about Persia and you think about Aladdin, Aladdin, even though it's a cartoon movie, it was like a beautiful place to be. Um, they had, you know, just so much handcraft, so many like handcrafted things they made, you know, the Persian rugs and and hookahs and <laughs> all this kind of stuff. Um, um, so that was great. Um, loved Australia. Australia has really, really good food. Um, it's just a different experience. Got a chance to go out to uh, Steve Irwin's park. We passed away that used to do, you know, with all the animals and stuff. And, yeah go to different glowworm caves and different things they had there. Um, I thought that was an incredible, incredible place to be as well. Um, but I've been a lot of places. I've been, I've been a lot of places. Um, those, those are probably the ones that stand out the most um, besides like Greece. Um, I love Dominican Republic because I have my passport there, uh, but I could go there all the time. So it's, it's, it's become normalized. At the beginning, it was like, oh my God, but now it's, you know, it's kind of normalized to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but been a lot of places, man. Uh, you know, I, I love really each and every one. Japan is really nice as well. Very clean. Um, people are very orderly. Not not much crime at all. I remember when I was there, there was a guy that actually did a crime, and he was like going on the news saying like, "Hey, I did it. Catch me if you can." Like, <laughs> he was like the only person. <laughs> did they get him? <laughs> yeah, they ended up getting him, but it, it was like 
it was like the fun thing to do is like catch me if you can because there's like no crime there like there's, <laughs> there's nothing going on so um, um those places tunisia yeah tunisia iran japan australia um very very nice places yeah so i've talked to uh a couple other basketball guys that have played across the whole world, like uh, Kiefer Sykes. I don't know if you know his name, but um, like he played in like I think it was eight different countries. And I think every guy who's played in all these different countries has one country, specifically with basketball, that like the fans are just so like too crazy that they always come back and they hate it and they just say they never wanted to go. Um, like me and. Uh, Mark talked to uh, a guy who never went to the NBA, but he he played in Serbia, and then after his bad experience there, he just called it quits professionally. So, did you have any countries that are country countries that um, the fans were just unbearable? Or, um, I don't want to say unbearable. I I I thrive in those types of environments. Like I love mm-hmm. it. It's just the passion of the game. Um, that place for me was Greece um, because I played for Pauk. In that city is a team called Pauk. There's a team, Aris, Eracles. But Pauk and, and Aris are like, you live on one side of town, you're black and white Pauk. You live on the other side, you're black and yellow Aris. I mean, it's a real rivalry. I mean, it's, you get beat up if you go on that side of town. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, we packed out 10,000 fans every time they came to our place. They packed out 10,000 every time we go to theirs. Security to get over there. Um, in Greece, you have these big plastic things that are going over your head because um, fans will burn coins and throw hot coins and try to burn you, you know, like when refs make oh. bad calls. Um, I wish I had my, my hard drive pulled up to pull up some pictures, but <laughs> if you ran out our tunnel as a guest, as soon as you ran out, everything gets dark. All the fans just throw toilet tissue and paper all over the court. You can't even warm up. Can't oh, even warm up. Um, <laughs> no, um, we've, we've been to a game on the road where uh, one of my friends, um, he'll, he'll tell you, Matt Nielsen, he, uh, an assistant coach for the Spurs, he, we played on the same team, so he runs out the tunnel and he's shooting or whatever in the ball, we're in Iris and the ball bounces over to the fans. And he doesn't know, so he's just running over there. And we're all like, don't go over there, don't go over there. So he goes over, you know, you're close to the fence, you grab the basketball. All you hear is, <laughs> oh, and oh, everybody gross. is like, <laughs> so gross. <Jeez>. <laughs> oh. <laughs> all over, and he came back, and his hair is like, oh, uh, you know, that's, that's disgusting. disgusting. <laughs> but, but again, he was another one that thrived in that environment. You know, he was captain of like Australian national team at the time, and you know, he was just used to being in that environment. So. I don't want to say it was like unbearable, but it, for some, there were a lot of guys that that couldn't thrive and, and left after a week or so, like on other teams. Uh, but it was for me, it was it was just like that challenge of I've always loved the challenge of like proving the people wrong, the fans, especially when you're on the road and stuff. So, um, everywhere you go, there's gonna be people for you and people against you. Of course. You know, um, I think. My generation of playing is a little bit different than now because now everybody just kind of leaves and goes somewhere else when adversity hits um, a little bit more than we were able to. Um, so, you know, just living through that is just, you know, it's just fun because when you get through it, you feel like you accomplished something. Mm-hmm. Um, just to go back to, uh, I guess you were playing for the Dominican Republic uh, at the time. Uh, August 20th, 2014, uh, you played for the Dominican Republic against Team USA in Madison Square Garden. Uh, despite the loss, how did it feel playing against basketball's greatest talents? No, it was incredible. The whole the whole trip itself um, was just incredible. I was fortunate enough to be able to go on that trip. We had just finished the national team tournament. My foot, I had finished the season, then went to Puerto Rico, then Dominican Republic, then went national team. By the time I got there, like my foot was like just killing me. It was just like an overuse. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't really sure how it was going to go. Um, and then you get there and all the national team, because Puerto Rico played USA like the next day or two days later, you have all of these teams, you have like all of these people, you walk in the Madison Square Garden for shoot around. There's just so many cameras, so many reporters. Um, sometimes the, the international stuff seems bigger than the NBA sometimes because there's so much more passion and people are representing their flag and, mm-hmm. and um, different things like that. 
But incredible. I remember just standing there during the national anthem. You're just staring up and seeing Dominican flag and Madison Square Garden. You have all the people there. All my family was there to support. Um, incredible experience. And then you drop your head down and you look across and you have Steph Curry, Kyrie, Harden. I mean, it was just like, <laughs> you, you just know that like, there's not many times that you can look at a team and feel like, Every single person on that roster is like going to be tough to guard, tough to handle. There's, there's nowhere, right? Because, you know, unless even when you're in an all star game, it's like, all right, you're not necessarily trying to like beat our heads in. There's an entertainment aspect to it. This was these guys standing on that side, just kind of like, we're going to kill you, dude. And it, it was like, like, no matter what sub they get, they may get better. Yeah. Make it better on the court. I mean, and um, so you know, going going through that was, I mean, it was great, incredible. Um, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, you know, just being out there with those guys, and again, you you get a chance to play with these guys and proams and practices and stuff like that. But that many great players on the other side of you, um, you know, not that many people in the world get a chance to say that. Unfortunately, I, I've been able to have that experience. Was probably terrifying for you uh, at the tip off for playing those guys. <laughs> <laughs> One of my friends asked me if I was if I was nervous because Demar Derozan. You can find that picture on internet. Yeah, that's, that's, where, I, that's where I found it. That's where I found and, it. Uh, <laughs> and everybody's like, "Hey, you kind of you know you kind of got you in that crossover. Were you a little like a little nervous?" And I'm like, "Is Demar Derozan? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm not gonna make it Demar Derozan. Like he does this every single day. He's looking at me. He's used to looking at you know another." guy that's on his team on the other side, it might be James Harden or somebody in front of him. He's mm-hmm. looking at me, so he's his confidence is is sky high at the moment. <laughs> like in the in the locker room before you like nor like I've I I haven't played like super high level sports, but I've played enough that I said like coach tries to like motivate you and all that. But like going into a game like that, like what can a coach really do? Like what can they, what do they really say? Like because you see who you're up against. Right, and then and then you know we also do scouting reports. <laughs> so oh. we we get to James Harden. I'll give you just an example. We get to James Harden, show the film, just force him right. We're just gonna cut off his left arm. We're gonna get up on the side. He goes and pick a roll. We're gonna get up on the side, and we're like just gonna force him right. And then they move on to the next player. I'm in the locker room like, it's not gonna be that easy. It makes sense what you're saying. That is the game plan. But let's not act like it's just going to work. No. <laughs> it's James <No> Harden. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, so all of the guys kind of had that energy, that type of energy in the locker room. Um, you know, but coach was just like, hey, man, you know, we get ready to go to the World Games. You know, just play. At the end of the day, it's basketball. We knew at the beginning it was going to be tough at the beginning. You know, but it's basketball. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it, again – you know, we're talking about Orlando Antigua. You know, Calipari was really the, the full-time coach at the time. I mean, you're talking about guys that were coaching on, like, the highest level in college basketball. So they've been used to saying, like, these things. So they're delivering it just like they would, you know, in college. But at the end of the day, when you look across that line, you know, it's the greatest talents. <laughs> the greatest talents out there, you know, just looking at you, just waiting. Um, so there wasn't much they could say. It was hey, you either going to self motivate yourself to try to get going, or you were just going to get killed. Just... <laughs> can't even can't even fault you for it. Those those are the elites, right? Like that's the top of the top. But so uh, since your playing career, you've done, like I mean you've obviously done a lot with with basketball outside your playing career. But you're coaching in the G League now, and I know like at the time it was called the D League, but you played at like this the same 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 thing pretty much but playing the same thing and like and obviously at a very successfully at that point with the with the wizards um like what did you what did you take away from your playing days to starting to coach now in terms of like what it takes to be successful um just understand that the, the you know the d league g league you know it's a it's a grind um i think one of the biggest things for players is the support system around you um especially now because when you add the 
two-way players and assignment players and these other factors in there. It makes it a little bit more complicated on the, the direction of the team and who needs what. Um, but one of the things, just, again, being on that team is just understanding the pressures, accepting the pressures, facing them, and just figuring out how to adjust. Um, you know, you got to take that stuff on head on. You have to embrace the challenge and grow. Um, so just being through that experience, that's one thing from a coaching perspective that I try to make sure the players know is that I'm in it with you. Like, mm -hmm. I'm in it with you. I've been in this chair. I've experienced this, whether it was for the, the good or the bad, whether the, the result ended up different. Sometimes it's just understand I've been in the fight that you've been in. Um, sometimes that sweat equity they, you know, that's another way to deliver kind of like a sweat equity with them. That plays a big part. So they just understand they're not alone because you could go home and talk to your mom, your dad, your girlfriend, your brother, you know, and if they've never been in that spot, it's hard to relate. Mm -hmm. You know, you could talk to other teammates or, or other friends of yours that are playing on other teams, but they might not be in the same exact situation because every situation is different. So um, just being able to, you know, be blessed to, to, share some of my experiences with guys and be like, hey, man, I messed up here. Or, hey, I was embarrassed at this moment. Or, I, you know, I failed at this. Or I succeeded at that. Um, just help give guys hope. Like, hey, I made it up out of there. <laughs> you, you know, you know, a lot of guys did. And mm -hmm. so just understand that pathway and being with them, I think, is one of the most valuable things. Um, because it just allows, you know, coaches' messages to get across, game plans to get across. Um, just, you know, just trying to relieve them of the other insecurities and doubts and, and question marks. Um, yeah, according to um, your LinkedIn, just jumping back before coaching in the G League, uh, you became an independent player development coach in 2008. And at the time, you were still playing basketball yourself. So what led you to coach in the midst of your career? Um, I... I had a lot of my first early years on um, different teams were bringing me in, um, you know, uh, the Hawks brought me in multiple years in a row during the summer. So I was with those guys a lot. Um, and I've always just kind of been like a sponge basketball wise, just always trying to pull from guys and, you know, pull information, pull abilities. And so as I would train, I would train with guys and guys would come train with me. Um, over time, I began to expand my knowledge of, of things. You know, I always tell people, um, if you and I are two players and we could do the same exact things on the court, we would still be different players um, just because of the natural things, the natural athleticism, the natural thought process, or, you know, any of that type of stuff. Um, so though guys saw that, that I had a certain knowledge of the game, um, or a certain passion to, to be able to pull it in, and, and people started to feed off of that. So they started to want to know what I knew. Um, and, I start, and I didn't have a problem sharing. You know, I wanted to share with what I knew. So over the time, I started really getting guys in. And then I, um, you know, when 2008 came, I had my mentor who had trained me in the past. Um, he had some McDonald's All-American guys. Um, sent me some McDonald's All-Americans. He said, hey, I want them to train with you. They started training with me. So now I'm working out, but then training these guys because I actually have some guys younger than me now, you know, 16, 17-year-old, Scotty Hopson, and some of these, you know, guys that became McDonald's All-Americans. You know, again, they didn't come to Atlanta to train with me. They came because of my mentor, and he placed them with me. So I just happened to be in the right place at the right time and at the right capacity, place in my career to be able to deliver knowledge. And, um, started there and I was able to learn with those guys. You know, you, you make mistakes and, you know, you, you know, players give you feedback and you make adjustments, you make changes and it grew. And um, then I had my first NBA player um, that had trained with me, um, really, really believed in me. Um, and it just, it just grew from there. So every summer when I came home, um, people were waiting, waiting to get in the gym. You know, I used to do groups and, I was fortunate enough to train with everybody because I was being a player. I'll train with centers. I was trained with point guards. I'll train with every position. So over that time, I would learn more by training those positions. I would be able to learn more as a player 
Um, and I would learn from them what things they felt like worked, how they felt, and different things like that. And I just kept passing it and recycling the information to more and more players and continue learning. Um, so those players really were, were a tool for me to continue growing. Um, so every summer I came home, that's what I did. Um, overseas, um, I started, you know, especially later in my career, I would go to the gym more. If I went early, the young guys would come early. You know, if I stayed late, young guys would stay late. You know, because they start to look at you as more of a mentor. You know, if you're eight years in and this guy's in their first year. So you get the, you know, Americans and the locals and stuff, and it just became a natural. That's where the mentorship start, started really growing is mentoring, leading, coaching, teaching guys um, came from. Um, and then I just, I just stayed with it. Um, so when I got a chance to retire, I was able to take what I was doing individually and, and, and join the Skill Factory, which was, you know, which is an organization that was well known and be able to put it on a specific platform because I wasn't big about Instagram and all that kind of stuff. I was just big about giving back mm-hmm. and sewing back into the to younger players. Um, so it just it just evolved from there. And you know, I've just been fortunate to have been in a gym with a lot of guys now sharing knowledge. So like when it comes to something like that, you're talking about training with all different types of players. I can't remember. I can't remember exactly who it was, but I think I think it was Giannis was the most recent one to say something like this, where it was like he doesn't want to train with players on other teams, like guys that he's competing with, because he's like, why would I help you get better if I'm gonna try and beat you in a couple months? Like, what what do you think of that type of mentality then? Um, I love it actually. Um, when it came to training as a player, I was selfish. I wanted every rep and I wanted to do like my work and I just wanted to be in there by myself. Um, not that I wouldn't go do a group workout, but that was always like something additional. Um, but I wouldn't base my summers and my stuff like on individual workout. Now the group workout stuff when I'm training guys. Yeah. <laughs> but when it comes to my training, I would train with them, but then I also had a trainer that would just train me and I do my individual workouts. I love that mentality. Um, cause he's so competitive. And he wants every rep. You know, if you have two guys in for an hour, you got to think about it. A good trainer is going to cater 30 minutes to one, 30 minutes to another. That time is always going to be split. Um, you know, I, I love the fact that he just wants to be like that. And honestly, that's the way I approach the summer with guys even now is one-on-one. Mm-hmm. You know, let's get in. I'm, I'm not a big gym guy where – like a lot of people in the workout, you know, I like it to be like me, you, um, whatever I'm teaching you, getting your feedback and, and us just really grinding. It's like just lights off and you're just in the gym and you're locking yourself in solitary and you just, you know, focus on you. So I love Giannis doing that because you don't know what he's going to, what he's bringing mm-hmm. out. Yeah. 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 So at what point, uh, did you think that maybe a front office or coaching work was something that you wanted to pursue just as the rest of your career went on? Um, maybe my, maybe 2015, um, 2015, a friend of mine, we actually ended up co-authoring a book called the journeyman's guide that we sold on like Amazon and stuff. Um, we were just comparing stories that year. He was calling me, he was complaining about this young guy, that young guy. Not complaining, I don't want to say complaining, but we would talk about it, we'd talk about their complaints. You know, he doesn't know this, these guys just don't know, they just don't know. And, you know, we sound like the two old guys on the phone just trying to teach these young guys how to get through their career. And we said, hey man, you know, there's a need for, um, like, like we really know stuff that other guys don't know. You don't think about it like that. You know, you get in your career and when you play that long, you know, you got to think, my first year, there were veterans that were 10 years older than me. My last year, I was 10 years older than some of the guys. So I have a, outside of my 14 years, I have another 10 one way and another 10 the next. So you're really thinking about 34 years of your own experiences and gaining other professionals' experiences. Um, so when, I, when, I, when we looked at that, and my friend, he was the same, he had 11 years. Um, it was, hey, we got a lot of knowledge and there's a lot of stuff that we could tell guys coming out and, and help them build a career in this. Um, that led to the mentorship and us feeling like, okay, let's write this book. Let's give back this way. You know, I was already on the court. I felt like I was giving back that way. And so it's 
you know, you begin to realize like, hey, it's it's not just skills, you know, it's mentality, it's pathway, it's, you know, all these other things. And, and all of that comes to coaching in front office. Um, the only difference I would say between the coaching and front office stuff is um, as a coach, you can impact today. As a front office, you can impact two years from now. Mm-hmm. It's a different reach. Um, you know, but as a coach, you're more hands-on every single day. You know, not saying that, you know, front office works every day too. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, just like a hands-on, you could directly impact something immediately. And front office is always like the longer-term perspective of um, of growth. So I, w- I would say about 2015 or so um, when I got a chance to do that. Mm-hmm. And so just on the front office thing a little bit, Correct me if I'm wrong, but you worked in the front office as an assistant GM for about three years in the Dominican. Um, aside, like, obviously, like, there's the difference between, like, actually playing and then being in control of the guys who are playing. Like, what was the biggest differences that you noted between your time, like, and any other basketball aspect compared to being part of the front office? Um, the, the amount of impact a decision can make on a player was, like, the biggest biggest thing, not just on a player, but on the team in general. Um, as I served as assistant general manager, I was also the captain of the team as a player at the same time. Um, very, very fine line being in between um, because you as my teammate know that if something happens and you were to get released, you could look next to, next to you and I'm sitting there and you know that I knew. You knew you know that my opinion was valued as far as the decision was made. Um, so you had to really, I really had to learn how to care for players, but you also had to learn how to make tough decisions. Um, as a player, you don't go through that because you have no control over everybody else on the team. It's always, hey, control what you can control. When you're in management, you have control over the team. You know, you have control over whether to make trades or cut somebody or you know, or care to somebody and, and, and all of the different things. Um, so um, that was, that, that's, I think that was the biggest thing I learned on like the crossover side is, is, is that players have to be first. Um, their feelings have to be considered um, their emotions. Um, and you have to manage everything in the, in the sight of the whole organization, not just the, not just the players. The players are first. But it's everybody. How does it affect the coaches? How does it affect the trainers? How does it affect other people in the office? Um, how does it affect the water boys? You know, mm-hmm. you have to kind of really have that holistic perspective of the domino effect. If I do this, it's going to happen. This, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. Um, I think that helps. Um, that perspective helps in coaching as well um, because you start to look further down the line. Um, and it helped for me as a player because I kind of knew this is the direction we're going to have to try to help this particular player as captain of the team, you know, helping this guy get through this part because I know that we're going to need him down the stretch. I know we're going to depend on him in a certain way. I know that this other guy may be on the way out. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you think there's like, if, since you were also on the team while also at least partially being in control of it, like, do you think like the your teammates kind of, there's like a little bit of like a fear factor of like, oh, I don't want to like, I don't want to do something to upset you. Like you could literally cut me. Like, <laughs> there, there, there definitely was, um, but there, there, there's also there were also the players that feel like, hey, I'm really cool with James. I'm good. Mm-hmm. I could get away with this. I could get away with that. So that's where you know I had to really draw. There were there were a few times that I had to exercise kind of like power moments. Mm-hmm. Um, Never really. There was one. I don't really know if it was good or bad. Even even when I look back at it now, but um, you know, we had a player that just felt like he could do whatever on the court, and it was to the detriment of the team. And um, he was saying certain certain stuff on the court and just doing certain things and talking to guys weird. And, and, I, and I told him during the game, "Hey, man, you know, you can't do that. You're affecting too many of the players. We won their best teams. Uh, we went, to, you know, we won the best teams for like multiple years in a row. Like." We don't function like that. He was a new player. Like, we don't function like that. Mm-hmm. And versus having to take a – I knew what other people in the management office were saying. 
But I know the guy was a good player. Um, I knew it wasn't coming from like a place of like, you know, bad intent. You know what I mean? It's just he got caught up in a moment. He got caught. So we were in the game and, you know, I told him, hey, you got to calm down, whatever. We went to a timeout and he was saying, no, you have to. I forgot what he said. No, you have to do this. And you're telling players, you got to pass me the ball here. And we've been back on the court. And I said, hey, man, you know, this is not going to work if you keep doing that. So we went down. And the very next time he complained, the whistle blew up. I've got the play stopped. And I just looked at the coach and I said, take him out. And it was just like that. Take him out. Everybody just looked. That was my first time ever exercising power like that. And he was like, And come out and he goes to the bench. You know, it was, just, it was like the second quarter of the game. I mean, he was pissed at halftime and all this other kind of stuff. Um, I explained it to him later, you know, but then I also had to let him know, like, I'm your teammate. So even though I'm in the front office, I'm your teammate. I was one of the people that were in the room and tried to help get you there. You know, you have to understand that what I'm trying to tell you in a game as, as the team captain may be coming from the coach. You know, it may be coming from, it, it may be coming from information that I know that you, you don't have, you know, you know, you don't have a possibility of like knowing. So I was like, sometimes, you, you know, if you trust me a little bit more in what I'm telling you, we won't have like these moments. But it took that hard moment for him to get off like that slippery slope because he was just like going downhill. So you, you guys had that 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 fear, um, you know, but I didn't want to abuse it. You know, I, I had to exercise it once or twice just to, you know, for guys getting a little bit out of hand because they, they were close to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but... You know, all, at the end of the day, we, it was all love between everybody, so it was no, no, no real major issue. Did that fix it? Like, did did the player keep acting like that, or? No, he um he straightened up, he he straightened up, but but again, it was his trust in me was why he was acting the way he was acting, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I needed his trust in me to be the reason why you listen to what I'm telling you, because I do know what the owner is saying, <laughs> I do know yeah. what this person is saying. You're affecting a lot more people than than you take on, um, but I'm not. I can't give you all of that different information, but I can try to pull you back, so you just kind of understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2018, you took your fo- your first coaching job in the G League, and um, even going back to however long you want to go back, as you were just entering your professional career, or whenever. Uh, could you ever envision yourself coaching basketball at such a high level? No. No, I never um, – initially, I never wanted to get into coaching initially. Um, I don't really know why that was. Uh, I remember middle of my playing career, my old high school coach was trying to get me to come be the head coach at the high school and stuff like that. And um, I just didn't really want to do it. And honestly – that year when 2018 came around, I wasn't sure. I was interested, but I wasn't sure. Um, fortunately, uh, they interviewed me and, and you know they asked me, do you want to do development or do you want to actually coach? And I'm not saying development is not coaching. You know, there, there are assistant coaches that do develop. But at, at the time, remember, I was doing development outside of. So I'm not thinking of it in the same context that they are. But it said, you know, we think you would be interested and we think you'd be very good, you know, just, you know, coming on to the front of the bench and like really, really coaching and really diving in this, you know, just on like your experiences and what you know and how you speak and how you could teach and um, learning how to use those things to impact guys. And you're a hands-on guy. You know, you're a hands-on guy. You know, you can impact games you know, and see what that satisfaction is like. So, you know, I remember coming home and, uh, I mean, I come home, but getting off the phone and sitting there and thinking about it. And I talked to a very close friend of mine and they just say, hey man, you know, you've done the development thing, you know, why not give it a shot? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, um, so I did. And coach believed in me and gave me a lot of responsibilities and, you know, allowed me to grow and make mistakes and learn from them and, and continue forward. Um, and I just became really passionate in it. You know, now I just feel like, like I want everybody to succeed. Um, so that's like one of the biggest things, like with the coaching is just, you know, again, putting that passion and that sweat equity and that energy into every player and helping them believe that, hey, you can have a long career as well too, whether you 
get out the G League to the NBA or you, you know, you go overseas. But everybody that plays in the G League, 95% of the guys that play in the G League are good enough to play professional overseas, you know, or, or make the NBA. Mm-hmm. And like, so there have been a couple coaches in the past, like even one of your former ones, Dave Yeager, and then, but then you've got guys like Nick Nurse and all that too. Like, I don't know if you, I don't know if it's in your future aspirations to ever be into head coaching at all, but seeing guys kind of make the same leap that players do from G League to NBA, is that like a source of inspiration for yourself or? or... Um, definitely, definitely a source of inspiration. Um, last year before, before joining Long Island, I got a chance to head coach over in Venezuela. Um, <laughs> During the you know during the COVID year that you know GB had the bubble, um, and it's a different thing. Um, that made me want to come back to the GB again and really really uh, have confidence on how I can impact things um, because it's just the the pressure of being on that seat is 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 like like the pressure of being a star player on your team. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even though a lot of people are involved, but I mean, just that pressure of competing. So you get to the point where you feel like you're competing head coach against head coach, your staff against their staff, but you're not on the court, but it's who can teach better, who can implement better, who can get their message across, who can get their guys to execute better. Um, and it becomes like a chess game. Um, you know, these guys like Dave Yeager, Nick Nurse, like these guys mastered that chess game. Um, it's a long, arduous process. Um, but again, just, you know, the, resili- the resiliency side of me says, hey, <laughs> you know, let's fight this battle and, and you know, let's achieve this goal. Um, so, you know, it's definitely, you know, a, a goal of mine and just seeing, you know, witnessing somebody like a Dave Yeager that had a lot of success in the minor league. Um, you know, I, I got a chance to sit in the you know head seat for Long Island for five six games this year. Um, when coach was out with COVID, and it was that same thing just kind of coming back. Um, just hey man, you know, getting a chance to lead like I would love to do this like every single day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it seems really sweet. But um, so it's like since you since you started in the G League, we saw the creation of the Ignite come through and all that like. And the Ignite, like, this whole new thing. I mean, you've got, like, guys coming straight out of high school, no college or anything like that. Um, like, what did you think of the program initially before it even came in, like, when first just, like, the ID even came out and, like, the uh, the pathway it offers for high school students to, well, former high school students to start making money right out of high school? High school. Um, I always thought it, it was a, a great thing. Uh, I got a chance to sit down with guys like Rod Strickland and these guys that would help head the program. Um, beforehand, um, heard a lot about their ideas. I remember when they were first trying to put it together and they were throwing ideas around, mixing it up. Um, I thought it was a very, very good idea to be able to do it. Um, guys weren't obviously not allowed to go from high school straight to the NBA, um, but there's some special talents out there that are losing out. They have an opportunity to, you know, some of these guys go to college and they may not pan out. You know, or, you know, obviously they have the NIL stuff now, but, you know, they weren't having it. You know, so just giving guys a chance to, those elite guys a chance to, like, go pro, come learn the game for a year. Let's really prepare for this, right? You go to college for one year, you're not getting a degree. No, no, no. (laughs) You know, you're doing it for this. But in college, you know, the college coach's mindset is really to keep the program winning. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um I'm not saying they're cheating you on development, but you have class and you have these other aspects that, that you know, you have to account for. But Ignite, just having a chance to give guys, look, this is what it's like to be a pro. Um, teaching guys how to be a pro before becoming a pro. How do you train? How do you take care of your body? This is what the workload looks like. These are the different offenses and defenses or how you develop or how you grow. Um, I think it's a benefit for these guys. Um, obviously, now they have OTE and some of these other ones that are, you know, high school kids are going everywhere to try to get it. Um, but there's nothing like having a logo on your chest and feeling like you have those people behind you. Um, and that's where I think the G League is really, really taking strides. Um, I have a couple of people uh, that I know personally that have been on G League Ignite. 
Um, and they've shared their experiences with me and, and not one person has ever had a, any anything negative to say. It's all been positive. And just like with the Ignite though, there's always like that, like these are guys coming right out of high school, right? So there's always the concern of how they'll adapt. And you hear like the college fans saying like, oh, they miss out on like, like look at what what college has done for athletes before. And then you look at like, you look at the past couple years that uh, Ignite players have come through. Like first you had like Jalen Green coming out of high school second ranked player he he didn't like he didn't fall off at anything through his year and ignite he still went second in the draft but then you've got a guy like Jaden hardy he was like a top five recruit going into the year and then he ends up in the second round of the draft like is there ever just like a a fear factor of like maybe these guys do need like a year before pro or anything like that or is that more of like an individual thing yeah i, I think um I think some of it's an individual thing. You, you got to remember, we're talking about the NBA. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, 15 guys on 30 teams, you know, you're talking about 450 players, you know, not everybody's going to make it. Yeah, yeah. Just not everybody's going to make it. Um, I think everybody that comes to the Ignite had a trajectory that was just like this. Yeah, yeah. From wherever they're coming from. Um, they're going into an environment that's completely new, completely different. Um you know, a lot of things. A lot of players now are drafted on like potential and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, if you look, if you look at a Jaden Hardy, that's a, you know, there was a ball heavy guard and you know had the ball in his hands and stuff a lot. I mean, you take him, you're competing with the Kyrie Irvings of the world. You know, the other ball dominant players that could really get it. So you got to look at who you compete him to. Doesn't him going the second round doesn't make him any less of a player. Mm-hmm. Kid is extremely talented, but now. What team needs a player like that? Which team doesn't have a player like that? Um, all of those different factors have to come in, you know, come in account. Um, but I, I don't think, I don't think college would have made it any different for him. You know, he, he still got better. He still showed that he could play. He average, he had a nice average and, and different things like that. So I, I don't think college would have made it any, any better for him. Yeah, for sure. Um... And you've obviously coached uh, in the G League and Europe. Um, would you say that coaching in the G League is different in your, than in Europe due to the fact that you probably have to manage more personalities in the G League, especially because a lot of players, like, I mean, you can only think that a lot of players are there to compete for their own personal, like, draft stock and or even just stock to try and get called up to the NBA. Um, I, I think that is the biggest thing is the managing personalities. Um, I think that's the biggest challenge in, of, of coaching in the G League. Um, again, it's it's every player. I remember this year, we're talking to one of our players that you know played in the SEC, and you can look at our team. We got four other players that played in the SEC, and and it's kind of like you know I remember being on a team one year where one of our guys was talking about his school, and we had another player said, "You know, I could have gone there too." As he told me, he said, you know, I could have gone there too, right? I just chose to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And everybody, I mean, you know, it's no fault of theirs. Most of the guys coming in were the man at their school. Mm-hmm. You know, every leader doesn't know, how to, doesn't know how to follow. You know, they were probably the man at their high school, the man of AAU, mm-hmm. the man at their school. And, and, you know, even if they weren't the number one guy, they were the top three. You know, you have you have top three guys that were... So they, they, they never been through where, you know, they had to sit behind people and learn how to really, you know, be a role guy. Um, so that's where the personality part comes in is, is them having losing confidence, I could almost say. Losing, losing confidence, being lost, never being in that situation before, like, what am I doing? You know, um, and, then, and then just how they talk to people how they manage their teammates, how they manage being a good teammate, um, different things like that. Because sometimes in those situations in college, you never have to do that. You, you know, we're all cool because we all live in the same dorms. We're all at practice every day. We all play video games with each other. We're always on a bus together. You know, as a pro, there's a lot more separation. You know, everybody kind of lives their own lives and, and, and stuff like that. So they're also learning how to be adults and be on their own as well. So I think all of those things play a part in, in um, that you have to manage as a coach and just to take it back to the ignite quickly um so you mentioned like how how like benefits you think could be for athletes and all that if you were given the opportunity 
to get onto the Ignite right out of high school instead of going to UNC Greensboro or anything, do you think you would have made that jump to, to I guess at the time the D League or Yeah. Um I I might have wanted to do it. But my my support system around me wouldn't have let me do it, um, and I just know that for a fact. Because um, even going to UNC Greensboro, you know, I had a few other schools, um, you know, um, big schools that were calling. My coach would hang up on them every day, and just say, "Hey, you know, don't go here and just be one of these one of the number. Mm-hmm. You know, come here where you're going to be." at the forefront and, and grow. And, and I was young. I was um, I was the second youngest player in the nation when I came out of high school that year. Um, a young 17 coming out of high school, you know, um, give an example, like like Miami, like my coach was not going to let me go to Miami. Go to Miami, you might get registered and you're getting into party and you're with these girls, you got this going, that going, your whole career goes down the tube. So I just had a support system around me that would have always, they never let me skip steps. Uh, they just were never going to let me skip step. They go here. And so as tempting as it could be for a player, I, w- I would have, I know I would have never gotten there. They would have never let me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I guess I can understand that more of a fundamental way. Of course. I, it's probably less risky as well. Yeah. It's probably a lot less risky, especially if you're more like as the role player, like you're not going into trying to get to the NBA to be like a star, more of like a, role player kind of guy probably wouldn't want to go to the ignite if i guess i'd assume because you have a lot more talents there but um as this interview comes to a wrap i'd like to ask you uh since you are coaching currently uh who are some guys that uh everyone should be looking out for taking the next big step coming into next season G League guys yeah your guys. guys your guys too even your guys yeah your guys especially um, they definitely should look out for all our guys. I, I think um, the growth that we've had this year, and especially this summer, has been incredible. Um, guys are focused. Guys have been in there since day one, since the summer started. Um, you know, the, the, the Raekwon Graves, the David Dukes, um, Cam Thomas. I mean, he's uh, he had an incredible summer league. I thought, again, showed a huge step of growth. Um, Kessler Edwards, obviously, you know, you know went up. Um Everybody's improving. Dayron Sharp, mm-hmm. you know, he's been a huge growth because he was actually like one of our young. He was the our youngest player. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all of them. I, I can't say one individual. I, I think, you know, I, I. It's hard when you're in there. And you know all of the work that they put in, all mm-hmm. the time that they put in, and, and and you know that every single one got got better. You know, it's just about coming out there and showing people who you are. Have you ever like so you mentioned like guys like Cam Thomas and Kessler and all that? Has there ever been a time where you were like coaching guys in the G and like, why are you here? Like, how are you not like 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 how are you not in the NBA? Like, is that ever? Yeah. Um. Um. Yeah. When um. You know, I I used to think that with Cam when he came down. Sorry, what was that? With with Cam Thomas when he when Mm -hmm. he would come down, I'd be like. Oh, you're gonna be here for like one day, and he was. Yeah. You come down there, drop 45, yeah. and go back. Yeah. Um, Jordan McRae, when I was in when I was in DC, I mean he, I mean you can look on Instagram now, and he probably has multiple posts on the G League page from like a month ago that he's like the best, most prolific scorer to like ever play like in the G League. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I remember when he was there, he got 50s back to back nights, and we're like, "What is? Why are you down here?" You know, you're a two-way guy. Like, what is, you know, what is going on? But there's so much that goes in, you know, being on that other side. There's there's so many factors that kind of go into how people plan things that nothing surprises you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you, you're not going to understand it all, you know, but that's what, you know, they pay the big buck. You know, certain guys are making the big bucks for it to make those types yeah, of decisions. Yeah, like, yeah, like, I see, I go with Cam Thomas, I see played two G League games and he averaged 40 and a half points per game. That's crazy. I mean, crazy. He does what he wanted, wants to do out there. No, 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 it's no, hard no. to, he did the same thing in college. So. Yeah, yeah, you can't stop that. You can't stop that. <laughs> yeah, so I guess for the last question, uh, totally not basketball related, but if there's anything that you're working on outside of basketball or you want to shout out or just tell us what's going on with your life, 
yeah, you can let us know. Now's the time. Um, no, nothing too big. You know, just just look out for some possible things I may have coming. Um, you know, just from a training perspective and possibly another book. Um, those would be the projects that I'm slowly working on when time permits. Um, but I would say, yeah, just just look out, look out for that. Just have some, you know, nice plans coming. It may, may start a podcast. You never know. I might have to. Yeah, this is fun. Podcast. <laughs> this nice. is fun. I'm gonna have to have you guys on as guests. To, yeah. To be like sure, how, sure. how to do a podcast. Like <laughs> that'd be sweet. Yeah, well, that'd be sweet. Thank you so much for joining us and giving us some of your time. No, really appreciate uh, it. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. yeah.